Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. My name is Tom Abbott and this week I spoke to Professor Wynne Grant about the transition from Tony Blair to Gordon Brown. What might we expect from the new Brown government and what legacy will Blair leave behind? Wynne, reflecting on the time that Tony Blair has been in power, what do you think the kind of major elements are that you would draw out of that time as his great achievements or his great impact on British politics? Well, first of all, I think there's been a transformation of the Labour Party, and as a consequence of that, there's also been, at the end of the day, a major change in the Conservative Party as well. Um, after all, no Labour Prime Minister before has won three elections in a row, and that of itself is a considerable achievement. And I think it's been done by <clears throat> reformulating the Labour Party um, with this new formula of trying to secure economic efficiency, but at the same time, pursuing social justice, which is defined in terms of equality of opportunity. So he's a Prime Minister who's been able to reach out to Middle England and garner support for the Labour Party in areas which would perhaps not normally give it that support. So what will he be most remembered for? Well, I think he will be remembered for the settlement in Northern Ireland. I mean, obviously the work on that was started by John Major, but it was a considerable achievement to bring it to fruition. I think that was recognised in Ian Paisley's generous treatment in Prime Minister's um, question time yesterday. I think you know, a tribute which reflected the fact that he has at last brought what appears to be a lasting peaceful settlement in Northern Ireland. So he will certainly um, be remembered for that. He, I think obviously he has tried to reform public services but that has not been a complete success. I mean considerable sums of money have been put into education, into health. We've certainly seen a lot of new buildings. We've seen more teachers, but he's also himself at times been frustrated by the uh, level of resistance that he's encountered from the public service in actually trying to deliver what he thinks is necessary in improving public services. There's also the elephant in the room, I guess, of Iraq. Um, is that going to cast a shadow over the Blair legacy? I think it will cast a shadow, just in the same way that, in a sense, the Vietnam War still cast a shadow over Lyndon Johnson in the United States and perhaps one of the things that Harold Wilson is praised for today is the fact that he didn't take uh, Britain into the war in, in Vietnam. Um, so you know, that is seen in many quarters as a misjudgment. Um, he's been seen to have too close a relationship with the United States and with President Bush in particular. So I think you know all the positive things that might be said about him will be have to be balanced against what is probably going to be in the long run a negative assessment in relation to the intervention in Iraq. Mm. What impact do you think he had on the broader political environment within the UK? Well of course one of the important changes that were made um, in terms of devolution I mean these are irreversible changes uh, you know Scotland and Wales you know have a parliament and assembly uh, Scotland in particular has very considerable uh, powers given to it and those are probably going to increase over time. So that is a fundamental change just as the um, incorporation of, of human rights into British law has, has had quite a lot of consequences even though that's perhaps been modified at the margins and of course we've also seen a Freedom of Information Act which has had perhaps some 
unintended consequences. That there have been uh, you know quite a lot of uh, important constitutional changes, and then I think also by moving the Labour Party to the centre, uh, the Conservative Party has eventually had to respond to that, uh, and has you know, had to elect a leader with whom it's not entirely comfortable, but you know promises electability for them. We have a new Prime Minister, we have a new leader of the Labour Party. What are the similarities and differences that we're going to need, we're going to notice about the leadership, the policy, the strategy direction that Brown is going to take uh, in comparison to Blair? Well, I think we need to start with the similarities, and it's important to remember that um, both Tony Blair and Gordon Brown come from the same stable in, in the sense that they are both modernisers. They wanted to change the Labour Party and take it in a new reformist direction. So, I mean, Gordon Brown is still signed up to that broad agenda, and it's interesting that both in his speech in Manchester and his remarks yesterday, he emphasised the theme of change. So I think there is going to be continual change, particularly in relation to the public sector. Now, some of the biggest differences will be seen, I think, in terms of style. The first decision that Gordon Brown took when he went into Downing Street um, was to rescind an instruction which had been given in 1997 by Tony Blair which was that uh, civil servants were to uh, follow instructions issued by his personal political staff in Downing Street. Gordon Brown's done away with that, and I think this uh, reflects his determination to get rid of what is often called sofa government. He's also renamed um, his media spokesperson. Uh, and again, I think that reflects his determination to try and get away um, from the spin which was often associated with the Blair administration there will be less razzmatazz and I think we saw that in the way in which the transition was handled yesterday you know the Blairs departed with a, a great fanfare of the whole family there and so on and Gordon Brown's style is going to be much more sober in tone than Tony Blair and that reflects you know his different personality. Mm. So you know, there's been a lot of talk about Brown being more, uh, you know, more of the Labour Party. Is that the case, or are people who see him as this kind of reconnection with Labour's roots missing a point here? Well, I think in terms of style, there may be an element of that. I mean, he does have a very strong commitment to combating poverty, which was reflected in various policy measures he took as Chancellor. I don't think he's, you know, a great enthusiast for the trade unions. Um, and indeed there's been speculation that he might want to get rid of the trade union bloc vote in the Labour Party. So in terms of image, I think he might be seen as more traditionally Labour, but I'm not sure there's actually such a big difference in terms of substance. So Tony Blair is off to the <coughs> Middle East um, to act as an envoy on behalf of the quartet. Is he more likely to succeed than others who've gone before him? Uh, where others have struggled, is Tony Blair likely to find a path? Well, I think it's a very intractable situation. I mean, Tony Blair is well regarded in Israel, which is not surprising, you know, given the policy stances he's taken in the past. On the other hand, in the Gaza Strip, Hamas have no time for him. I think he's more um, favourably viewed by the Palestinian authorities on the West Bank, and he may be able to enter into some dialogue with them. But in a sense, a solution that doesn't embrace the Gaza Strip as well is not really an effective solution to this conflict. So I think there's a lot of mistrust of Britain and of him personally in the region outside of Israel, and that's not going to make it a, an easy task at all. Gordon Brown's now announced his cabinet. What do you think uh, the cabinet says about the direction that Brown's going to take it in? Are there any surprises? Is there anything in there that's unexpected? Um, or do you think it's the kind of the Brown cabinet that most people have been expecting? In broad terms it is, and of course um, a significant appointment is that of Alistair Darling as Chancellor, which was entirely expected. 
But you have to remember that Tony Blair took very little interest in economic policy issues. Indeed, he actually, when his economic policy advisor left, he didn't bother to replace him. And I think, of course, Gordon Brown is going to take a much more activist interest and you will have a Chancellor who has a more limited role and less of an independent power base than Gordon Brown did. And I think that's an important change um, at the centre of government. Obviously, we've seen a few changes in the, the structure of the government and the education department has been renamed, so it's you know, now a department for schools and families. The, the, the task of looking after universities has been allocated to a separate department, which also has responsibility for innovation and for uh, skill formation, which I think for universities at least is an important change. And the Department of Trade and Industry has not been abolished, as some people forecast, but it has been renamed as the Department of Business Enterprise and Regulatory Reform. And I think that signals a determination to go through with the regulatory reform agenda, which was um, started under the previous government. Are we likely to see a reassertion of Cabinet's authority? Because a lot of people criticise the Blair government for being too, uh, um, too presidential, that the Cabinet had lost its voice. Are we likely to see that voice reasserted? I think Cabinet will have a bigger role than it did under Tony Blair. I mean, Gordon Brown has said quite clearly he wants to have a more consensual form of decision-making. I think one of the obstacles there is, is simply the sheer size of the Cabinet as it's been constituted, because if you add in all the people who are allowed to attend, like you know, the Minister of Housing, Yvette Cooper, um, <clears throat> the Attorney-General, Baroness Scotland, the two private parliamentary secretaries and so on, it's really too large in the body, really, to take effective decisions. And the other thing that's been discussed in relation to Brown's cabinet, of course, is this idea of involving the most able people. Um, and there was some discussion before he took over as Prime Minister about the involvement with the Liberal Democrats. Is that something we're likely to see, a closer working relationship with other political parties and possibly even cabinet positions for MPs from other parties? Well, I think it would be members of the House of Lords rather than MPs. Uh, they, they would be placed in a very difficult situation if they joined a Labour government. I mean, clearly uh, Lord Ashdown was offered the Northern Ireland Post and he decided to turn it down. Um, Shirley Williams is considering a, an advisory post on nuclear proliferation at the moment. And we may well see other uh, offers of that sort in the junior ministerial ranks. But I think it will be people drawn from the House of Lords and it will include people from the world of business as much as from the world of politics. So what are the big directions that you can see coming from the Brown government? You know, he's got his first hundred days to set his reforming agenda, to uh, outline the philosophy under which he is going to drive forward his government. What do you think the big themes are going to be of that first hundred days? And then perhaps looking forward, you know, in, in a couple of years' time, what are, those kind of, what are the themes that we would expect to see? Well, clearly there's a big challenge in the area of health policy. I mean, despite the large sums of money that have been put into the National Health Service by the government, um, <clears throat> staff morale is currently seen to be low. There have been a number of mistakes made, for example, over the appointment system for junior doctors, which have offended people in the medical profession. Alan Johnson, who's you know clearly a very well-regarded person, has a tough challenge to try and restore uh, faith in the health service and the government's policies. So I think that's going to be one of the big immediate tasks. Um, because some of the biggest challenges may actually relate to Europe. I mean, there's clearly going to be pressure on him to hold a referendum on the treaty in relation to the European Union. Um, in many ways, Gordon Brown has been more Eurosceptic than Tony Blair. Tony Blair's ambition, you know, was to put Britain back at the heart of the Europe. It was an ambition he never really realised. But I mean, 
Gordon Brown as Chancellor you know, was not very keen to go to Brussels for relevant meetings, and I don't think he enjoyed them uh, very much when he actually did go there. So I think there's a big set of challenges that actually relate to Europe and the handling of the, the European issue. One of the questions that has been asked um, and discussed in relation to Brown taking over is this idea that he will call a rapid election. Um, is that a likely scenario? Is it a likely? Is he going to call an early election to seek the public mandate for his agenda rather than relying on uh, the the, uh, the previous election win? I don't think that's very likely, and I think it will be a very high risk uh, strategy. Um, I would have thought most likely date for the election is two years hence in 2009, or it's possible there could be one in the autumn of 2008. Remember, although Labour has got a lead in the opinion polls at the moment over the Conservatives, I think it's a kind of brown bounce. I think it's a very soft lead. I think the next election is going to be closely fought, and it wouldn't be very sensible from his point of view to have that election sooner rather than later. Let's look at the opposition that are going to be lining up against Brown uh, in that election. How are the Conservatives, Liberals and other parties going to respond to a Brown government? Do, do they change their tactics in any way in order to kind of deal with this, uh, this, this new leader? Well, I think the Conservatives would think that in David Cameron they have a younger, more charismatic uh, leader than Gordon Brown. I mean, obviously Gordon Brown is not going to respond to that by pretending to be more charismatic. He will simply, I think, try and play to his own strengths and, you know, get people to recognise him as someone who's consistent and determined and serious about what he's doing. He won't try to be a, a second David Cameron. I mean, Cameron has tried, obviously, to, or in the past, has tried to portray, portray himself as the heir to Blair, you know, although I think they're backing away from that uh, particular uh, strategy now. So they will obviously try and um, chip away at Brown's record. Um, you know, the economy could run into more trouble. I mean, interest rates are likely to raise again. Um, this could be an area where they will try and exert pressure and they'll, they'll obviously continue to exert pressure on things like the National Health Service and delivery in that in other areas of public service provision. Crime is another issue, I think, where the the government is vulnerable. We're seeing, unfortunately, an increasing number of um, you know, killings carried out with knives and so on and the government doesn't seem to have any very effective response to that. And in terms of Brown's international profile, I mean, Tony Blair was a, you know, a figure on the international stage, relationship with certainly with the US and the relationships with Russia were important parts of, uh, of the Blair leadership and you, you know, you've talked about the relationship with Europe there. How is Brown going to approach those, those key relationships and are we likely to see the relationship between the UK and certainly probably most importantly the US change um, because, of, uh, because of the way that Brown approaches that? I think there will be soft changes in the relationship with the United States and that Brown to some extent will call that hoping that in due course a, a new American president will be elected who will be a more amenable to his position and the, and the British position. And I think it's possible for Brown to do that because he has a certain amount of credibility in the United States. He has very close links with policy-making elites in the United States in, in the past. Um, he used to go on holiday each year to Cape Cod and meet there with leading American intellectuals and so on. So I think he's going to try and change the character of that relationship. He doesn't want to be seen as President Bush's poodle. He wants to have a friendly and constructive relationship with the United States, but I don't think it will be the kind of close relationship that we saw under Tony Blair. And sort of finally, what do you see Brown's leadership now as bringing to the Labour Party? The, how will the Labour Party change now under, uh, under Brown's guidance? 
Well, I think many people in the Labour Party would please simply because he's not Blair. I mean, obviously, one of the tests for him is what he's going to do about the situation in Iraq and Afghanistan. In effect, British troops have already been withdrawn from Iraq. I mean, the Americans have accepted that, and at some point in the not uh, too far distant future, there won't be many British troops left in Iraq. Afghanistan involves a different set of considerations from Iraq. Um, it's not entirely clear what the policy objectives are, and I think that's something to which more thought has to be given because I can't see an early withdrawal being possible from Afghanistan unless it meant handing the country over to the Taliban, which I think would not be acceptable for the United Kingdom or indeed any of its, its partners in Afghanistan. Obviously, Brown has been emphasising, you know, education is his passion, health is something that need uh, immediate attention. Those, of course, were themes that Tony Blair emphasised, but I think they're ones that, that Brown is going to give a lot of attention to. The other thing, because he has been talking about his constitutional reform, but not in the sense, I think, that Tony Blair meant it, but trying to uh, re-engage with the electorate and you know, create a new relationship with the electorate, given the signs of you know political apathy and disenchantment which we've seen, for example, in terms of falling election turnout. That's going to be a very big challenge, I think. I mean, he's talking of things like using citizen juries and so on, but it will be interesting to see how that actually works out in practice. <laughs>